0: How many people in power have you heard say either of these sentences? I was wrong. Or I don't know.
1: (laughs) None. They've always got an answer, don't they? Yeah, no. Do
0: you know what do you know what they say now? Do you know what they say now? Science change.
1: Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome. Today I have a really special guest with me. They are a person of many talents. They are a rapper. They are a host of a popular podcast. They are incredibly influential on social media, particularly over the last couple of years. But most importantly, they are a world record holder for the women's uh, deadlifting at 238 kilograms. Not sure if it's, uh, you know, been, uh, I guess your throne has been <laughs> has been uh, overtaken by someone else. But um, I'd like to welcome Zubi and thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Happy to be here, Evelyn. I noticed the usage of the they, them pronouns there. That was interesting.
1: I did that deliberately. I thought I'd lead in and make people think, is this a woman guest or, or a guy <laughs> guest? And then and then I dropped the bomb and I say, women's deadlifting," And then your face is on the screen. And people, I just thought that might be a cool way to introduce you. And that okay. might segue into sort of explaining a little bit about who you are. Like I've sort of said who you are, but I'd love you to explain people who you are, how you kind of got into this space and maybe a bit of your background stuff that people might not necessarily know if they just looked you up on the internet.
0: Yeah, sure thing. Um, So my name is Zuby. I am an independent rapper, author, host of my podcast, The Real Talk with Zuby Podcast. I am also a public speaker and I do coaching as well. Everything started out for me in terms of all of that with just the music. I released my first album in 2006 when I was still in university. And since then, I have put out nine music projects in total. Six albums and three EPs, sold tens of thousands of albums completely independently. And then in 2019, had a bunch of posts go viral, started my podcast, wrote my book, and started to expand more into a lot of the other spheres that people now know me in. Lots of people know me for different things. In terms of my background, I was born in the UK to parents who are originally from Nigeria. I think that's quite important. I lived in Saudi Arabia for two decades. I went to an international slash American school there up until the age of 11. And then I went to boarding school in the UK. So I was back and forth between the two countries for for many years during my secondary school and university. Uh, I studied at Oxford University. I'm a computer science graduate. And yeah, I've got a pretty mixed and confusing background, which is why people (laughs) hear my hear my voice either when I'm talking or when I'm rapping and they don't know whether I'm American or I'm British or I'm this or I'm that. So that is a quick, brief version of the story.
1: I feel like you're the Clark Kent of like the political slash music world because on paper you've gone to Oxford University, you sound like a businessman, like a suit man, but you're like a a rapper and like a political commentator and and podcaster and a public speaker so it's like... Mm -hmm. You like two different people in one, which is probably what makes you so unique and probably why people really appreciate your opinion and perspective on things, because you do have such an incredible uh, history and background. Um, May I ask if music is something you've always sort of pursued and done, or did that come later in your life?
0: Music came in my time, so I became a music fan when I went to boarding school in my Mm. Just pre-teen or early teenage years, I really, really got into hip-hop as a fan, probably around the age of 12 or 13. Prior to that, funnily enough, I wasn't really a big fan of music. Um, I used to play piano, though. I used to play piano probably from the age of around seven. I even used to do recitals and stuff like that, where I lived in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then I think I stopped playing piano when I was about 13 or 14, just because I got interested in, in other stuff. Kind of wish I had kept it going in hindsight. Um, and then I started rapping when I was 18 years old, released my first album when I was 19. And that was when it really hit me that, hey, this is something I really want to do and people like it. And I was, you know, selling tickets for shows and I was selling thousands of copies of my CDs completely off my own back, literally. I used to just mm. go around to different cities with my backpack and and sell my <laughs> CDs to people on the street and actually sold over 25,000 albums doing wow. that. Um, so that's how I got into music, but I just love it as a way to, I love being able to articulate thoughts in interesting ways and mm. condense things and big ideas into Small, witty, bite-sized pieces. To me, you know, I get people like, man, how do you put out so many fire tweets a day? And I'm like, man, it's the same as rapping, you know, it's the same, it's the same muscle. It's taking something that other people are thinking, but may not be able to articulate in the way that you can, and then putting it out there in a a a simple, concise, interesting, and entertaining way of putting it out. I think that stand-up comedians do something quite similar with comedy. And I think the best comedy is taking what other people are thinking or have experienced, but then framing it in a way that most people would not be able to. So that's why I love that. I also love the creative process of just making something out of nothing, right? So I could just be in in the shower or sitting in my room or whatever, and I have an idea for a song or I have an idea for something I want to create, even a piece of merchandise. And I just love that process of taking something that's just an idea in my brain to something that people like and value and use. So anytime I hear someone, I don't know, uh, see someone listening to my music or enjoying it live or wearing a piece of my merchandise or reading my book or posting one of my quotes or whatever it is. I'm like, wow, that's amazing because that's just something I, I thought yeah. of and then I made it a reality. So I love that whole process.
1: And I love that you have the skill to do that. I, I just don't, I'm way too analytical to be creative <laughs> in any sense. So I really appreciate people like yourself um, that, you know, and The next question I wanted to ask you, has your politics affected your music um, in a good, in a negative way or a positive way? Because like, let's face it, people, I think like yourself and like myself, we um, kind of, uh, I guess, criticized by that particular industry and the people who are in those industries. And you know, you are very vocal about your opinions on politics, religion, and, and you know, I guess, culture. So, have you found that that has helped your music, or has it been a struggle to kind of work through?
0: I think it's helped um, for the most part. I, I, the thing is, I don't really, I don't really think nor care about that. Right. I just do what I do what I do. I mean, Mm. since I started with my music, I've always been praised and criticized for the same things, right? The praises are the same as the criticisms. And this goes way beyond politics. So taking various things, you know, I am a guy who went to, grew up in Saudi Arabia, went to a boarding school, went to Oxford University, did computer science. My dad is a medical doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm from a decently well off family and I'm a rapper, so right (laughs) off the bat, I mean, when I was, I mean, imagine when I was still in Oxford University (laughs) and I was putting out music, I had, you know, people were like, Whoa, that's cool, that's different, that's unique, and he's also being true to himself. But you also Mm -hmm. had people like, Oh, that's that's fake, he's not, he's not real, he's not from Mm -hmm. the street, he's not talking (laughs) like, you know, that gangster talk or that drug talk or whatever. But other people Mm -hmm. are like, Yeah, well, he shouldn't because that's not his life, right? So, yeah, and then also you know i don't swear mm. which is relatively rare for a human being let alone a rapper uh, you know there's not True. there's no swearing on on in any of my songs and so you get some people who are like oh wow that's awesome i love that i can play it mm-hmm. in the car with my parents or with my children but then other people are like oh i don't like it it's it's too clean he's like it's like will smith it's corny it's like <laughs> it's not you know they want that street yeah. gritty kind of stuff you know so it's always been the same i think it's the same with the with the political angle or with my beliefs so it draws some people to me um, and other people, it may put them off. But ultimately, I don't view these things as a marketing strategy. It's just like, mm. look, this is who I am. I'm not going to pretend I lived a life that I didn't live. I'm not going to pretend I believe things that I don't believe. I'm not going to just go in the studio and put those headphones on in front of the microphone and I become a sudden. I suddenly become a different human being. That would be mm. fake. Like That would be yeah. not keeping it real. That would be very inauthentic. So from day one, I always just decided, you know what? I'm just going to do what I do. Also, I'm totally independent. I I run my own label. Everything I've done and put out is under my name. I own all my rights to everything. So no one can control me. There's nobody above me who can be like, oh, you you must do this or you must do that. I just do my thing every day and make a great healthy living off of it and have been able to inspire and help thousands if not millions of people mm. around the world at this stage so the dream yeah. is coming to fruition and it's still very early as far as I'm concerned
1: yeah i think it's great you can't be canceled as you said you're you're running your own business you're running your own label which is great because we're living in a world where cancel culture is a new religion. If people don't like opinion or thought, they're like, well, we'll just cut it off. And I think it's really important moving forward, particularly people who I do critically think and do think for themselves to branch out and do things on their own so that they can't be canceled. Because I know for sure there is such a need for clean, good, decent music like yourself. Um, and, you know, there's a great rapper as well. I'm not sure if you know him, Shai Lin um he's a christian rapper he's like a dad of 7 kids and there was a minister who once said that um he is preaching in his raps better than most ministers in a pulpit and if you listen to some of the things that he's putting into his songs and his music it's just incredible and and it's so like meaty and it's exactly what we need to hear and you're doing the exact same thing and so the fact that you can't be cancelled is such a positive thing for people like me who would prefer to listen to your music over a lot of the other sort of stuff that's out there in mainstream so really appreciate it but Moving on from from the music, if if you don't mind, I might pick your brain a little bit more on the political side of things because you are very sort of outspoken, especially on Twitter. I think that's where I kind of found you because, um, you know, like a lot of your stuff was being shared around. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm thinking but I can't articulate it as well as this man. Um, And so (laughs) I really liked what you said. And you actually wrote um, a thread not long ago, maybe a few days ago. I think it got about 24,000 retweets and it was 20 um 20 points with it but basically you said Mm. the things that you've learned or you've confirmed about humanity during the pandemic um it was so profound and it's everything that we're thinking and feeling and I just wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of the points out of the 20 that I sort of isolated uh and number seven I'll just read it because I'll butcher it if I try and Paraphrase. So, number seven, you wrote: most people believe the government acts in the best interest of the people, even many who are vocal critics of the government. And what I wanted to ask you is: have you found that that particular mentality is more prominent in certain countries than others?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know you're you're
0: in Australia right now, so you're 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 one of the top of the top for that. I'm. Mm. I was gobsmacked by just how much trust and faith people in your country have of their government and the officials. Um, I knew it was high, actually. Uh, This is something I actually, for for many years, have have always thought that in the Anglosphere, the the English speaking world, that um, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada in particular actually are much more statist mentality than Mm. even the UK, let alone the USA and particular parts of the USA in particular. And this really, really brought that to a head. I mean, it, it, I didn't know it was the level it, it, it is, you know, when, when people think of Australians in particular, I, I think Canadians are known to be overly polite and non-confrontational just as a general thing. Um, Australians, though, I think, you know, people imagine there's there's more of the, that rebellious, rebellious kind of independent... Uh, streak which is why I think so many people around the world are kind of have been looking at like wait what's going on I thought I thought you guys were over there you know boxing kangaroos and fighting sharks and stuff so you know why are you all submitting so hard to these ridiculous policies Mm. so I think it it very much varies from country to country I think there's an element of it just in terms of economic development I think history is extraordinarily important and I think that a lot of people don't think about these things deeply. So for example, if you even compare the history of the UK or Great Britain versus the USA, right? I mean, Americans, America was created off the back of rebellion and independence, Mm. right? Like Americans are basically historically rebellious Brits, right? Mm. So it shouldn't surprise anybody that the level of distrust of the government is going to be higher overall in the USA, particularly in say, more Southern southern and Midwestern regions than it is in the UK or in Canada because the countries have such different histories. And this goes all the way down to the, the constitution and the amendment, you know, things like take, take one, one thing, the second amendment, okay? Consider how private citizenship gun ownership and that being a hardcore god-given right is viewed in the USA versus the UK versus Canada, Australia, mm. New Zealand. Australians brag about the fact that they gave their guns away, right? Yeah. Like they boast about it, which is something that's always blown my now I'm like, okay, you see what that led to. Yeah. Um but and but but even at this point, even 2 years into this, I'm sure if you pulled the majority of Australians like they they wouldn't they wouldn't draw that link. They'd still be, no, no, we, we don't, we don't want that. Um, maybe some people would have flipped now, but I still think the majority that's kind of ingrained in the mentality. It's the same in most of Europe. It's the same in the UK. Um, whereas in America, Texas, you go to Tennessee, you go to Georgia, Alabama, somewhere like that, Florida. And they're like, you know, if you want my gun, you're going to have to kill me. Right? Like the gun is to protect them. A lot of people don't understand (laughs) the Second Amendment, that it's actually a defense of government tyranny. It's not specifically about hunting or self defense. It's meant to be a check against the government ever becoming tyrannical. Hmm. I think also, if you look at a lot of former communist countries, places where communism was just defeated, even within our own lifetime, then they tend to have a more healthy skepticism of it because it's more fresh in their minds, the fact that the government can go tyrannical, it, it can go crazy. Um, and so I think there's a little bit more of a, of a distrust there and people are a bit more um, aware of this. I think, th- you know, th- there's that common saying that hard times, what is it, mm-hmm. good, good men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create bad times, bad times create strong Mm. men. And different countries are always in a different stage of this ongoing cycle. And certainly in the modern Western world, especially in the Anglosphere, it's been so good and so comfortable and so easy for so long that I believe the majority of problems that exist in our societies are the result of that. They are problems of excess, They are problems of comfort. They are problems of life being too easy, not too hard. Mm -hmm. People having too much, not too little. People are dying of obesity. Nobody is dying of starvation, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, you you can look at other countries. The problem is people don't have enough food to eat. You look at the USA, you look at the UK. No, people are dying because they're eating too much. It's excess. Even some of the mental health issues going on, it's like people are too comfortable there's not enough struggle mm-hmm. and so as a result people overreact to the most minor things people used to be concerned about macroaggressions now they're talking mm-hmm. about microaggressions people used to be talking about violence being violence now people are talking about words or violence oh i got yeah. misgendered oh someone said something a little bit mean we need to you know even this even this virus itself our mm-hmm. ancestors would, would would be embarrassed about what how the world has responded to a virus with an over 99.9% rate, rate, survival rate in the majority of the population. They wouldn't even have noticed this. They wouldn't even hmm. have noticed, but people are responding. The, the response that is ha- that's been had would have made sense, perhaps, logically, if we were talking about something with say, let's say a five, t- maybe 10% kill rate, hmm. right? Then, then it would make sense. It would make sense. I'm not saying the policies would have helped that much, but the level of hysteria and hype and people freaking out and staying home and running, you know, all, all of this, it would have made sense if it's like, okay, if you get this thing, there's a 10% chance it's going to kill you. It doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how healthy you are. It's just like, bang, you know, 10% cure. And it's not even close to that. It's not even close to 1% for the majority mm-hmm. of the population. And we know this, we've known this for a year and a half and still, you've still got millions of people literally afraid to go outside, afraid to be around people, afraid to see faces in public, afraid to do this, afraid to do that. And, and then you look at places where there's real struggle. You look at a continent like Af- Africa,
1: mm-hmm. where
0: um, there's a lot more poverty, a lot more disease in general, a lot more, more mortality in general, especially at younger ages. They, they've largely breezed, breezed through this thing. Mm-hmm. lower, lower the 5% vaccination rate, barely any lockdowns and mask mandates and all that hysteria. They've just been living their lives and just getting on with it. And mm-hmm. they've even got way lower death, significantly lower death rates than pretty much any Western country. So mm-hmm. it's not even that, oh, you know, they're getting, they've been hit really hard and they're getting slaughtered. It's just like, they just looked at it and like, okay, like, let's, let's get on with this. this malaria is worse yellow fever, dengue fever, all these other diseases, HIV, all these other other diseases we've been Mm -hmm. dealing with for decades are far, far, far worse than this COVID thing. So let's get on with life.
1: Well, I know, like, as you said, there are far more things that are worse than COVID. In Australia alone, there's 431 Aussies that are admitted to hospital every single day for alcohol-related diseases. That's every single day. Um, And, you know, that's just being overlooked. As you said, obesity and things that come as a result of that. um, I can't I don't even want to know what the numbers are in that, because that's probably even higher than the alcohol related diseases. But all of these things seem to be swept under the rug and people are just, you know, living off this fear. And I think, um, you know. I forget who said it It was one of the presidents of America, but they said freedom is one generation away from extinction. And I do actually believe we're on the cusp Mm -hmm. of that. And I think you're right. You look at previous generations, our forefathers, it's like, why did they look death, certain death in the face and say that it's worth the the cost to secure our freedoms and our honour and our virtue for the future of our kids? Why are we getting it so wrong? And I think so much of it is to do with the culture that we're manifesting over here. And I think a huge... Uh, I guess evil of um purporting this type of culture is the media and the propaganda and the fear porn that's being driven. And, you know, I think one of the other things in your, your thread you, you mentioned and you predicted how the government and how the media would pit people against each other, particularly vaccinated and unvaccinated. And I guess my question to you is: do you think that they've been successful in doing this?
0: In many places, yes. Hmm. In many places, yes. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, man. This is a this is such a deep it's such a deep topic. This is something I could probably speak speak on for hours. So, um, before I get right into that, there's something else that you said which I wanna I wanna address, which was the concept of mortality
1: Mm. and
0: how people respond to risk in general now, and Mm. I think that's a huge factor. I think something that 2020 and up until now has shown was that there are millions, probably hundreds of millions of people in our modern societies who I don't think prior to this time ever really thought deeply about their own mortality Mm. because people are acting as if nobody used to die prior to 2020. So on a global, like let's, let's bring some stats out here. So according to the official data, I think at this point, um, we know these numbers are weird because they're counted in all different ways, but mm. I think they're saying about five five to five and a half million people over the past two plus years have died um, of COVID-19 or let's say COVID-19 related deaths about somewhere between five and six million, I believe is the official count globally. In an average year, about 60 million people worldwide die. So in that same time period, you've had 120 million people, often of much younger ages than the average COVID-related death, die of all other things. And people are there screaming, yeah, but 5 million, 5 million. I'm like, bro, like, you you don't even know how many people Mm. typically die. In the UK alone, just in the UK, 1,500 people a day die. 1,500. So in the news, they'll be like, oh, eight COVID deaths today. Oh, seven deaths. I'm like seven out of 1,500 of which the average age of death is over 80. The yeah. average person, age of the person dying with COVID is over 80 years old. Eight People who are in their 80s dying is not new. People in their 90s dying is not new. We've been living with this our entire lives, but it was never advertised and promoted and focused so much on one cause of death, heart disease deaths. Biggest cause of death in the world by a mile: cardiovascular disease, followed by cancer, followed by multiple other things. There's so many other things, even suicide, suicide, mm-hmm. drug overdoses. Like there are alcohol-related stuff. Like there are so mm-hmm. many things, often avoidable. You know, someone could say that things like uh, you know, certain types of strokes or cancers are largely unavoidable, as far as we know thus far. Um, but there are a lot of things that are avoidable deaths, which which are constantly happening. But I think people just lack this awareness. And I think also on a deeper, on a, on a spiritual level, I think this is a huge difference between modern people, especially in the West, and ancestors. Even if you just go back 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, is people used to be more religious, right? Mm-hmm. I know people don't like talking about religion because... Uh, it's not trendy or not everyone believes in it. And so they they want to kind of throw this whole thing in, a, in the bin, which is like another part of modern arrogance. Um, mm-hmm. But I've also noticed throughout this whole thing that people who believe in God <laughs> have generally been a lot more calm throughout mm-hmm. this thing. And I think it's largely because, and I'm speaking generally here, right? I'm just talking about, you know, there's always exceptions, there's always things, but People who tend to believe in God and in an afterlife and the fact that this life we have right here is not everything and we must, you know, prolong it eternally and do absolutely everything we can, right? I think people who have accepted that and truly believe that have a much more healthy and comfortable relationship with mortality um, because – you know, be because of that. This is just a trans a transitory phase. It's not the mm-hmm. be all and and all. Um, and so, death is not looked at as this thing. It, it's looked at as something that is just it's it's unavoidable. It's inevitable. Um, it's coming. It's part of a plan. There's something better potentially on the other on the other side of it, and mm-hmm. it it actually leads to a more kind of calm and rational and reasonable approach, I think there's also this understanding that human beings cannot play God, right? Mm. I tweeted about yeah. this the other day. The notion that people even believed that you could stop an airborne coronavirus that is that is very infectious. We cannot stop the cold. We cannot stop the common flu. Mm. We can't stop them. We've never eliminated them, not even close. So how arrogant do you have to be as a nation, as a society, as an individual to think, oh, you know what, we're going to just, I mean, you're in Australia, right? They had the COVID zero, right? Well, we're going to get it to zero. Yeah. I was like, are you people insane? How, how <laughs> arrogant are you? Like, you cannot yeah. get it to zero. As soon as you open your border, as soon as people come, it's going to it's gonna go up. Of course it's going to. You, you can't mm-hmm. stop it. Sure, there are things you can do. You can have treatments. You can have certain mitigation measures. You can, you know, try to protect vulnerable people. But- as I often say, a virus is going to virus. You mm-hmm. cannot, you, can, you can't just stop it dead in its tracks. It's not realistic. I think two years later, people are kind of slowly coming around to this idea. Yeah. But to me, it was kind of obvious from the very, very beginning. So mm. I think as modern human beings, it's very important in general, not just this topic, but to be able to balance, let's say, modern science and technology with our religious roots and philosophy and mm-hmm. tradition and all of these things and I, I think a lot of problems we have stem from these concepts coming just getting out of whack you, mm-hmm. you see you're seeing it happen here you see it happen in the world of um, you know just like the, the family families you know family values how how people treat each other aspects of the legal system, everything down to Mm. our very core being down to, you know, what is a man, what is a woman, right? Everything is now up for debate. And it's all people's, Mm. you know, subjective interpretations, and all of this stuff. And it leads to this unmooring of society, where reality itself becomes very warped. And it, it feels like people are living in these alternate realities. And then people are at each other's throats all the time, because we're not even operating off what seemed to be the same facts, right? Even yeah. if we discuss um if even if you discuss covid with people. I'm like, are we talking about the same disease? Yeah. Right? I talk to certain yeah. people, I see what they're saying and I'm like, what are are we talking about the same thing because hmm. the way you are chatting and responding and the things you're saying are so far removed from I don't even want to say my, it's not even my opinion. It's like objective facts. You can look at yeah. the data on this and it's just not, it's not aligning. And I think uh, coming back to what you were saying initially is the media has played a huge role in that because mm-hmm. they've never marketed and run a PR campaign and run a propaganda campaign for a virus in the way that mm-hmm. they have done for this. I mean it's had branding, it's got merchandise, it's got whole, yeah. you know, multi-billion yeah. dollar pound budget to promote all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um and this is completely unprecedented.
1: I think it's the the absence of objectivity and debate that's the language of the oppressor. And right now, Mm. that's what we're seeing with the media. Um, There is such an absence of that objective discussion. Like you said, statistics, you can talk to different people and they have different statistics and you all have different conclusions. But I think you nailed it on the head. There's been so much common sense available from the beginning, but people are throwing away common sense for a sense of false security that the government are offering. And I think when man claims the authority of God over the world that's when it becomes tyranny and I think when Mm. the government becomes your parent they're going to treat you like a child and when the government becomes your God you're going to worship their feet even if they abuse you and that's kind of the relationship I've seen in Australia and it's like the media are kind of facilitating this relationship um, and all of that but Another point that you made in this thread, number four, was propaganda is just as effective in the modern day as it was 100 years ago. Access to limitless information has not made the average person any wiser. So in other words, I sort of understood what you were saying as people aren't fools for lack of information anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So why do you think people are so vulnerable to this propaganda that we're seeing?
0: So I think it's really important for people to understand that human beings have not changed. We are the same, right? Okay. We are exactly the same as the people who existed in 1920, 1820, 1720. Like, we're 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 the, we're the same genetically. We are identical. We have the same the same flaws. We have the same physiques. We have the same brains. The same bodies. We are the same. We haven't magically evolved in a hundred years. The two advantages that we have as modern human beings is we have access to better stuff. We have more technology, mm-hmm. and we have the ability to learn from the people who came before us those are our only two advantages better stuff and ability to access history should we wish to um Mm. and a lot of people you know choose not to so beyond that we have all those same flaws when you read about history and you're seeing these moral panics or the madness of crowds or or crazy ideas taking hold whether it's uh you know, communism or it's Nazi Germany or it's historical genocides, or it's like crazy religious wars or terrorism or whatever. We're the same people. We have Mm. the exact same flaws, the same cognitive, uh, you know, deficiencies. We're prone to all the same things. Something that has always worked all throughout history, for example, divide and conquer. Mm. From day one, always religious lines, uh, political lines racial lines ethnic lines gender lines anything you like this football team you like that team human tribalism is wired within us now tribalism is something that is neutral in itself it has great benefits if you think of your connection to your family your country your community um you know maybe people who, who share some values with you like that is that's an element of tribalism and I'd say that that's positive tribalism. You might even be a member of some kind of sports club or music group or whatever. That's an element of tribalism that bonds you to those people. But you can have toxic tribalism, which at its extreme can go all the way to genocide. That's mm-hmm. that's as far as it can go, right? Normally it won't go that far, but it can go to um, racial tensions or you know fights between nationalities or fights between football hooliganism oh you like this team we like that team we're gonna fight each other Mm -hmm. so human beings have this tribal element just wired within us so it can always be exploited if you've got a power whether that's in the media a politician um, a charismatic leader who is able to and willing to exploit those lines and start to stoke that tension it's why i was very is why i was able to predict the whole vaccinated versus unvaccinated divide because it was so obvious to me that, oh gosh, they're going to, they're going to start trying to like, you know, 20 after the whole George Floyd things, they started stoking the racial tensions again, right? Mm -hmm. The whole BLM stuff. They started, oh, let's start pitting white people against black people again. We've done that many times before. Let's, let's start doing that (laughs) one again. Right. And then, you know, that one ran out of juice and it's like, oh, we can, we can do this one now. And people fall for it every single time Mm -hmm. because of that innate tribalism. So And then there are other, you know, mental things that people, mental traps, people can fall into things like cognitive dissonance, um, sunk cost fallacy, the notion that, oh, well, we've been doing this thing and we've invested so much in it. So we should just keep on going and going right now, Australia, perfect example of that sunk Mm -hmm. cost fallacy. Well, we've been doing this for two years, so we better we better keep going. We can't just jettison it all and say, oh, it was for nothing. Um, and also just the pride and ego, the, the unwillingness to go, you know what, we, we got something wrong. We made a mistake. Let's U-turn. Let's about face. Or, oh, we got some new information. Have you noticed throughout this whole thing, Evelyn, how many people in power have you heard say either of these sentences? I was wrong. Or I don't know.
1: <laughs> None. They've always got it an answer, happen. don't they? Yeah, no.
0: Do you, know what, do you know what they say now? Do you know what they say now? The science changed.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: No, nobody mm. is ever wrong anymore. Nobody mm. is ever wrong. Nobody makes a mistake. Nobody gets yeah. new information. It's, it's the, the, the the science changed? And this level of hubris and arrogance and inability for, and you see this, you see this on the hum, on the kind of mm. you know common man level as well. Just an unwillingness for anyone to go. Okay, I was wrong. You know, I was mm. wrong. You know, that my my friend who I called a conspiracy theorist or that person who I thought was crazy or, you know, OK, it, we, mm. we were incorrect. And you can do this across the whole thing. OK. It's been it's been about a year since the vaccination rollout really started to go. Yeah. What was the narrative about the vaccines in January 2021? Stops you from getting it stops you getting infected, stops the transmission, you get vaccinated. Joe Biden said this in the USA. I know the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, uh, you had people like Dr. Fauci, you know, I I know the American figures more, but around the world, they said, if you take the shots, you will not get COVID and you will not spread COVID, right? Which is believable because if you're going to call it a vaccine, that's what some many vaccines traditionally did in the past. Okay. And then uh, you know, you started getting what they call breakthrough cases, and then have you noticed that they don't even say breakthrough case anymore because it started yeah. happening so frequently. So many people who got the shots got infected, um, and then the narrative shifted. The goalpost moved. Then, it was, then it went to okay, it prevents it prevents severe illness and death. Okay, yeah. it prevents you getting hospitalized. Okay, yeah. and then you started getting a ton of people a few months later getting hospitalized, even after being mm. double, even after being double vaccinated, and then they say okay. Shift the narrative again. It prevents, like, we're, right now we are on it prevents death. Yeah. In less than a year, it's gone from yeah. you've it stops you from getting it to it prevents death. And look, mm. it's okay for people to for, for more information to come out. But the thing is, it's people not wanting to just admit, like, you've literally got people mm. now saying, Oh, no, no, no one said it would stop you from getting it. I was like, What? Like mm. that's a straight up lie. You can you can see videos. You can hear on tape people saying yeah. people in authority saying it will stop you from getting it. So, but no one wants to accept. Oh, you know what? It's not as effective as it's, it's not as effective as we thought it was. Instead, they're even doing crazy things like trying to blame the people who have not taken it yes. for its inefficiency. Yeah. They are trying to you know now they're rolling out third shot in Israel. They're trialing the fourth shot now, and they've even said the fourth shot is not particularly effective um, at stopping people. Get- and no one wants to just go, you know, and I understand this, right? Cause they're, they're also gatekeeping around what you can say and what you can't say. So, you know, the truth is these shots are not anywhere near as effective as people originally believed. That is the mm-hmm. honest truth. It's not me saying that they do completely nothing or that nobody should take them. I'm not saying that, but they are objectively nowhere near as effective as what people thought. If it was, you wouldn't be jabbing mm. people three times. I mean, there, there's places where they're mandating the third shot already, mandating a fourth shot, right? Over you, here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that. What other vaccine has that existed for? It's never. No. It's not a thing. Some people are, oh, well, what about the flu? It's like, well, the flu vaccine is not mandated, firstly, yep. and it's only once a year for mm. people who do take it. So yep. no, there's never been something where you take it every, every two months, every three months. Like that is that's crazy. But instead of saying the obvious thing, um, it's point the finger everywhere else, deny all, uh, you know, deny everything. And that that's just one example. But this has been happening mm-hmm. all throughout with everything. And I just often wish that people could just be, let's just be honest. Can we just have like, Sit down yeah. and I'll have an honest conversation. That's right. Right, like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna judge anyone. I'm not gonna attack anyone. I'm not gonna call you stupid. I'm not gonna. You, you don't call me a conspiracy theorist. I won't call you. Like, can we just honestly yeah. talk about this? I just saw. yet I just saw today an article came out in Reuters, the official check, fact checkers of Twitter, saying that um, that natural immunity is better at preventing trans uh, is better than uh than vaccine <laughs> immunity. Just today, they literally months ago they had articles saying the opposite. So we've always known our Mm -hmm. entire lives; it's been known that natural immunity is generally stronger than vaccine-induced immunity. This doesn't mean you no one should do vaccines because they contract a bad disease to get the immunity. But we've known this. People have been saying this for ages, being called conspiracy theorists, science deniers, whatever, for Mm -hmm. following basic science. And all of a sudden, the mainstream media. Is now shifting again to mm. get ahead of it and now they're suddenly like oh actually yeah all you conspiracy theorists were right they, they've been doing this on all these different issues and um mm. it's just mind-blowing yeah. but i think it's a a lack of honesty and a lack of humility is what is prolonging a lot of this madness and yeah that's at the media level the science level mm. the political level but also the level of just the average Citizen on the ground. Mm. Nobody wants to admit that they got anything wrong. Nobody wants to admit that, uh, you know, something wasn't exactly what they thought it could be. Um, and that's leading to the madness.
1: Hmm yeah well we've just been told in australia in new south wales our state premier he came out like three days ago and said the efficacy of the vaccine having the booster has gone from every six months to now every three so in australia they're looking at every single year you having to have you know four, four. shots. and it's just like is this gonna be i don't know if you remember that scene from gladiator and he puts his arms out, was like are you not entertained yeah. so I was like, is, this is like is like is this the moment yeah. where you stop you know believe and it's i'm like is this at a pathological level where they're actually believing the lies now because they're so entrenched in this if they admit that they got it wrong like what where do you go from there but you know I, back to the divisioning what you were saying, it is. It's, we're so divided over COVID. We're so divided over gender. I mean, they've got climate change now dividing parents from kids. They're using the vaccine to divide families because kids are getting upset at their parents who aren't getting them vaccinated. Or well, mum and dad, I can't go hang out with my friends anymore. I can't play my sport. It's just really sad. But my my question is, can we solve the, and bridge this gap in the division in our communities? Do you think it's possible at this point that we can, um, I guess, yeah come back together and say no to this division
0: yes absolutely i'm um, i'm ever the optimist um i'm what i call an optimistic realist and <laughs> look we we've talked about a couple touched on a couple historical examples briefly and this is certainly not i think we're living in one of the most stupid time periods ever but mm. we are not living in one of the most divided and hostile time periods ever mm. right not far yeah. far from it and humanity has come back from far, far worse things. That's true. Um, So I am optimistic. I do unfortunately think that there is a small percentage of people who this whole thing has broken them, and I don't think mm. their brains literally are functioning properly anymore. I'm not even trying to be mean mm. or facetious here. I mean that very literally. People have been subjected to 700 days of... Mm. Isolation and confusion and mixed messaging and fear, all of that stuff literally changes a person. Just like someone can go to war for two years and they come back with PTSD and their brain is literally not wired the same way that it used to be. And I think, unfortunately, that's a small percentage of people. Um, Most people can and will wake up and the tide is absolutely turning. I don't know if you saw yesterday, uh, Boris Johnson just announced in England, all the restrictions are being dropped next week yes. all of them everything mm,
1: that's um, good news
0: that is good news right mm. um and that's not going to that's not the first and it's not the last you've seen mm. several states in the USA um you know all the republican states really dropped all their stuff about 10 to 12 months ago um and so it's going the, the, the tide is turning people are waking up far more slowly than than they should be but Another part of it is, whilst I can understand people being concerned about like what you said, because in the UK, they said the same thing about reducing the uh, time between boosters from six months to, to three months. They said the same thing in the UK um, about two months ago. So I because I keep an eye on what goes on in the world, you can see what happens in one place and mm. use that to kind of predict what's going to happen elsewhere. But they're playing their hand way too hard. Okay. People don't want to take four shots a year. like. <laughs> Sure. Again, there's going to be a small minority of people who are willing to take 100 jabs for this same thing over their lifetime. Most people are not. Even most people who have taken two or even three, if you push them to four, five, six, seven, eight, like, like it, just, just, let's just think about this. Okay. If they were going to do that, then by, by say, December this year, people would be on what? Their their eighth jab? Seven, yeah. Seventh or eighth? people won't, People don't want to do that. People don't want to live like that. People don't want to be in 2020. The year is 2023 and you and your kids cannot go to the cinema or to a concert because you declined your 11th jab. Yeah. People aren't going to, people are not going to, even the most tolerant, even the most like pro-government, mm. pro-vaccine, like whatever, fully into this people are gonna be like, uh, this is a bit much, right? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. when, when you're getting called an anti-vaxxer because you only took nine jabs, right? Yeah. Like when it, they start seeing that affecting them, it's mm. going to, it's going to turn the tide, even just the numbers, because the number of so-called unvaccinated people is gonna just keep going up. It's gonna keep going up and up yeah. and up. I've getting, I'm getting a lot of people like, man, Zuby, like, how do you maintain hope? I'm like, dude, that it's just math. The numbers are on our side, yeah. like people are not going to go along with this. A lot of people took the, let's be real. A lot of people took the first two jabs because they thought that was the way out of the pandemic. Yeah. Maybe they themselves, sure, there's people who are at risk and they really, you know, wanted them and they were anticipating it and excited about it. You know, they're 70 years old, they haven't had COVID, they've got some comorbidities. Yes, you know, I want it. Um, and then there were a lot of people, especially younger people, who were not at risk. But they were told, "Look, it stops transmission. This is the way out. We can return to normal once we get you know X percent of people jabbed up." And then they shift the goalpost out again, and they shift it out again, and they mandate this, and they push that, and each time they do that, less pe- the, the the take up goes down, right? It's why they're it's why they're even just getting so aggressive now and forceful and. Mm-hmm. you know, trying to lock people in their houses and discriminate against people and segregate people and all that. While while that is scary, and I understand if you're living in an area where they're doing that, it would be scary, particularly to someone who does not want to take these shots. Um, also to me, that's kind of a sign of hope because it's a sign of desperation, right? They tried, they tried the carrot. Now they're just trying to beat people with a stick in, into submission. Mm-hmm. The narrative is crumbling. Um, people don't want to be getting injected every three months for mm. a virus with a 99.9% survival rate that in many cases mm. they've already had now. Or Everyone's getting COVID. Everyone's getting this Omicron yeah. thing, right? So, Me- so, we have to Megatron
1: now. I don't even know yeah. what strain <laughs> we're up to. I-,
0: I love the fact that they skipped Xi. Did you notice that?
1: I know. We don't want to be, you know, offensive to China. We-, we have to <laughs> skip that one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Don't so go there. It's, yeah, it's all crumbling. As I'm saying, even in the mainstream media, you're starting to see them start to admit natural immunity mm-hmm. and talk about the devastation caused by the lockdowns. And the whole narrative is shifting. So mm-hmm. I think it's less than a year until this entire thing collapses. And Maybe it would just that, take... You know,
1: I was just going to say, maybe it's just going to take people growing like a sixth toe or something for them to say, I won't get the 11th (laughs) shot. Maybe that's what it's going to take. Um, But I agree with you. I think stupidity can't sustain itself. Uh, Doug Wilson is a great minister and he always says that. Exactly what you said. We've been through worse before, you know, like we're going to go through worse again Stupidity can't sustain itself. It's going to implode. It literally can't um continue the way that it's going. Um and yeah, I, I'm sort of I'm more of a pessimist than you, Zuby, if I'm honest. I think okay. it's my background. I've just I've I've seen so much evil in the world in my 12 years of law enforcement that I kind of look for the worst. But lately, I am starting to try and deliberately think more positive. And I like to remind myself that we've obviously always lived amongst this many idiots. We've just never been tested until now. Um, and it's a great leveling. And I think there's going to be a new era of people kind of moving forward out of this, which I'm super encouraged by. And I think uh, it's, it's really got a lot of people to look at their own health as well through all of this, which is positive like myself I'm like I might take a probiotic today I might start (laughs) you know eating a little bit more healthy getting a little bit more fit and I'm already pretty fit and eat pretty well already but it's even getting me to kind of look at things and look at growing my own food and having healthy, like, uh, you know, vegetables from my own backyard, as opposed to mm-hmm. all of this mass farming that we get and who knows what chemicals they spray on it, pesticides and you name it. So I think it is good for health, but it's probably a good segue, I guess, sort of tying in our interview. You're sorry, really- sorry,
0: sorry, sorry to jump in. Can I ask you a question? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you been in Australia this whole time? I have. The past two years? Okay. Yeah. I think that's a big reason for your pessimism.
1: Probably, yeah.
0: (laughs) Because uh, this is something I've noticed because depending on where people are and what they're surrounded by and have been for the past 700 days, literally, um, it tends to influence that because we tend to project what's around us as kind of like the norm. Mm -hmm. So I genuinely believe that. I think most people in Australia do not know how normal much of the world is and has been because they mm. have not left. Like people have been stuck. we not in allowed this one to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But then people think, like, oh, like I hear, I, I've, I chat to some of my fans in, in place, in these places, and they say things like, oh, well, where can I go, Zubi? Everywhere is the same. And I'm like, mm. no, it's not. What are you talking yeah. about? Everywhere is the same. It's like, it's not, that's not even close to being true, right? Mm. Not even close. Yeah. I'm somewhere right now, no restrictions. At all, you can go to the nightclub. You can go party. You mm. can go eat in a restaurant. Like whatever, you don't need to wear a mask indoors. Everything's fine. right? Even in England,
1: mm. you know,
0: England is fine. Um, yeah. There's lots of places that are totally fine. But I think uh, that 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 leads to pessimism when people are yeah. just kind of stuck in one place. So I, I just wanted to to bring that up as I, I think mm. I think what if you if you go to like Texas or something and go spend like two weeks in Texas or Florida or Mexico or Turkey even, like just somewhere that's like normal, you'll yeah. very quickly be like, oh, actually, yeah, things are things, things are <laughs> Not all as right. bad. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. As I said before we started recording, I need to hire a coyote and somehow get <laughs> off this prison island and just live. I just feel like I just need to live. So if anybody yeah. watching this has connections to coyotes <laughs> in Australia... Hit me up on Signal or Telegram. Let's not, not on any mainstream social media accounts. The police, if I hear a helicopter, I know someone's giving me up. Um, But, yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think it. I, I am actively trying to be more positive going forward because sometimes, you know, you've got to go through some pretty rough times, some, you know, and it teaches you to hold on to things that are eternal, hold on to things that are more than just the next few years. Like we, I think we have a real, um, we look really short term as human beings instead of long-term. And I think long-term, maybe it's good that we're going through all this for our kids' future and, you know, our grandkids' future. But, just sort of tying back into health. I did want to touch on you. You wrote a um you authored a book on on health and I know it's something you're passionate about. I know that you briefly transitioned to being a woman for a short time as I introduced you for your deadlifting but on more than just a trivial uh, fun type of thing you genuinely are quite passionate about health and I thought maybe you could share a little bit about your book and um a little bit about your vision on on health and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, sure thing. So I really started getting into health and fitness in my mid-teen years. Um, I used to play rugby, actually, when I went to boarding school in the UK at age of 11. um, I had to, baseball was actually my main sport I played in when I was in Saudi, but doesn't really exist in England. Um, So I I picked up rugby. And when I was in my mid-teens, around 15, I started going to the gym to get in better shape for that and to, you know bulk up a little, build my muscles, get stronger, all of that. So that's when I really fell in love with weight training um, and just, you know, getting stronger, lifting weights and stuff like that. I also was a little bit of a, a bit of a fat kid. Here's a, here's a fun really? fact for you. Here's a fun fact for you. Evelyn. <laughs> I weighed more 20 years ago than I weigh now.
1: Really? Wow. And
0: I'm not a, and I'm not a small guy. Um. So I've this is one of those, I have own. to
1: say it to believe it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah. So I've
0: been through, I've been through my own fitness journey. You know, some people see me now and they're like, Oh, you know, I wish I had your genetics or, you know, you, mm. you're lucky, you know, and I'm like, well, I've been through my own journey, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's how I really got into, into physical training. And like most people do, especially if you start that young, lots of trial and error, experimenting with different diets um probably wasting way too much money on nonsense supplements that I I didn't need and that don't help Um, protein. (laughs) So I went through this, this whole journey and it's just became a, a key part of my life. And then in terms of writing my book, um, so I wrote my book, Strong Advice: Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody, in 2019, just after things had started to blow up for me after breaking the women's deadlift and things like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I wrote it just as a as a PDF that I thought, okay, this is going to help a couple hundred people. A lot of people are asking me in the real world and online nutrition advice, training advice. What's your workout? This, that. How do I do this? How do I do that? Um, so I just wrote a a concise guide on Essentially, all the things I wish I knew when I was 15, all the core things that I've learned uh, in terms of mindset and motivation, nutrition, and training itself. So I wrote and released that around mid-2019. Um, as of today, without even being on Amazon, totally independently, it's actually sold over 7,000 copies now in I think, 65 or so different countries. Wow, it's helped amazing. a lot of people to, to lose weight to build mm. muscle, get fitter, get stronger. So I'm really glad um that it's been able to to help a lot of people. Um mm. it's also taught me that I can I now know I can I can write books. So it's not going to be the uh it's not going to be the last one. But I think health and fitness is is so important. I often tell people we we only get one body. We only get one yeah. body. And um another bizarre thing about modern uh, the modern world is that a lot of people treat their material possessions better than they treat their own bodies. You know, They mm-hmm. treat their shoes, their car, their sofa, their house, their TV with, with more care than they treat themselves in terms of what, what are you eating? How much water are you drinking? Are you sleeping, moving, exercising? Um, and it's also weird because these are things that fundamentally everyone knows are good for them. But I think there's this, that's why my book starts with mindset, because I think a lot of people, even if you're not a nutrition expert or an exercise expert, everybody knows that it's good to exercise, right? Maybe you don't know the perfect routine or how to perform the perfect squat or whatever, but everyone knows that exercise is good. Also, everyone generally knows which foods are good for you and bad for you. They might not know all the ins and outs of nutrition, but everyone knows, okay, you know, an, an apple is you know, generally better for you than a cheeseburger. We all know that, but yeah. people still make these bad decisions. Every, everyone knows that smoking is bad for you. There's no one else, even smokers, they all know that, but people continue to do it. And I don't think we've ever totally been able to hack why human beings do so many things that we know are not good for us. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that, that, That's a whole interesting book that someone potentially could write themselves. Um, so, but I think, yeah, health health is so important. It's so core and fundamental to everything we do. This whole conversation we've had, this time that we're living in, which is supposedly about health, um, yeah. should highlight for everybody just how important it is. Yes, we don't live forever. We are all mortal. Life has a 100% mortality rate, but for the time that we are here, let's live it to the max. Let's have energy. Let's be healthy. Let's live as long as we can and as healthily as we can for ourselves. For our children, for our families, for our communities, all of that. And as you know, as being someone who, who who's in shape and in good health, is it's it's a benefit to every aspect of your life. You have you have more energy. You have more um, you, you have more physical ability, literally to like just do things. Whether that is lifting objects or running to places or doing yeah. this or doing that, you're just a more capable human being. And also you, you feel better. We, we live in this age where people talk a lot about mental health, but people rarely connect mental health and physical health are very connected. They're not exactly yes. one and the same thing, but they are very connected. And if you are in a very poor physical state, then it's hard to be totally mentally healthy for an obvious example of this. Just think about when you do get sick, right? When you do feel sick and you are stuck in bed or stuck in the mm-hmm. house, how is your mental health? It's not, it's not great. Like you're not really feeling on top of the world. Right. Um, and so it's, it's obvious and intuitive that these things are connected, but like with many things, people disassociate them and silo them. Um, and so when people talk about mental health, they, it's rare to hear someone talk about physical health at the same time. But I think if we really want to raise ourselves individually and as as a community and even as nations then it's in our best interest for people to be it's in our interest for people to be healthy and so whatever we can do to control the aspects of that that we can because as we've discussed there's many elements we cannot control and it's just random um we should at least try to control what we can
1: yeah absolutely so you know, I, I've picked your brain for far too long. I'm so sorry, but I just—I've <laughs> oh, really no, no, appreciated um, the, the insights that you have, the very profound. Um, and uh, I, yeah, what I want to direct people to is one your book, where they can get it. And I know you've mm-hmm. just recently released a, an album. Is it called um, Word of Zuby? And Word I of Zuby, just yeah, yeah, I, I just guess. Can you direct people where they can go to support you, whether they want to purchase your book or your music um, and just give us a little bit of an insight into that?
0: Yeah, sure thing. So the best place for both of those is teamzubi.com. That's Zuby, Z-U-B-Y. Go to teamzubi.com, That's my online store. Got my music there, all my albums. Got my book there, my merchandise. You can find everything there. And if you want to find me on social media, um, I am at Zuby Music on everything. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, minds, everything.
1: Awesome. Thanks again for, um, joining me in from the penal colony. Uh, it sounds like you're in a far <laughs> better place than myself. Um, if I ever get out of here and escape, um, I'll get definitely, yeah, yeah, please. Um, but no, I really appreciate your insights. Even though I'm in Australia, it's good hearing perspectives from people outside of Australia who are looking in because, as you said, we get so um, lost in the state of affairs over here that perspective is often hard. So thank you for that. Um, and I really hope and and pray for the best for you in wherever you are. And I really hope people can go and support you and get behind your stuff because you're producing some amazing things. So thanks again.
0: Uh, thank you, Evelyn. I appreciate it. Oh, 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 oh,